Uh, well, friends, uh, I've got a confession to make. I have a secret stash of unhealthy food in the pantry, uh, in a place that is not very easily detected by my wife or my children. Um, my wife is not here at the moment, so uh, I, I think I can reveal that. Uh, often it's things like chocolate or chips or other such goodies, uh, and I sometimes hide these goodies on the top of the top shelf of, of the pantry uh, and carefully arrange it behind some other items uh, so that it's hidden from view, and from time to time I indulge uh, in these things when my family are not around. Uh, now, friends, uh, this morning the topic is money, and uh, I want to suggest to you that just like my secret stash... Money is a fairly hidden topic, isn't it? Uh, it's not something that we talk about regularly, uh, and I doubt that it's something we talk about amongst ourselves. I doubt very much that uh, over morning tea, uh, we kind of gather around and talk about uh, our incomes and uh, where our money goes. I think there is something ab about revealing too much or too many details about our money that makes us feel very uncomfortable. Is that, is that right? Uh, in fact, as a pastor, uh, I've had people talk to me about all sorts of things, uh, things like uh, relationship uh, difficulties or uh, sexual sins uh, or even things like depression. But uh, I don't actually remember uh, in my seven years as a pastor uh, anyone talking to me about money or uh, struggles with greed or things like that. Uh, often pastors themselves are reluctant to talk about money, uh, particularly in uh, public teaching. Uh, perhaps it's because uh, we don't want to appear like some churches that we know of who have been guilty of abusing, uh, sorry, abusing their handling of money. Perhaps it's because we react to things like the prosperity gospel, uh, where pastors always speak about money. Perhaps it's because money is such a sensitive topic for pastors as well. But whatever the reason, there is often a reluctance in the pulpit to talk about money. But friends, Jesus talks about money. Often. Uh, he talks about money... In fact, more than he talks about heaven, he talks about money more than he talks about hell. In fact, out of the 39 parables that are recorded for us in the gospel, 11 of them are about money. Clearly, Jesus wants to talk about money. And I want to suggest this morning, friends, that I think it's because Jesus understands the strong connection between our attitude towards money and what's going on in our hearts. Jesus understands the deep connection between what's going on with our attitude towards money and what is really going on in our hearts. Now, you see, as we've seen all along in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is interested in the heart and a righteousness that comes from a heart that is transformed by the gospel. That's why he's been talking about his disciples 
having a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Not just doing the minimum to keep the law, but willing to go the extra mile because they have a heart of obedience towards God's law. That's why he's been talking about his disciples doing their religious duties uh, in order to please God and him only, rather than being motivated by uh, how they will come across to other people. You see, Jesus wants his disciples to be changed from the heart. What does your attitude and my attitude reveal about our hearts? Well, you can see there that Jesus is interested in the heart uh, or the inner person because in the first part of our passage this morning, he tells his disciples that what we treasure and our hearts actually go together. What we treasure and our hearts actually go together. You can see it there in verse 19. If you have have your Bibles open in front of you, uh, come with me to verse 19 of chapter 6 in Matthew's Gospel. And uh, listen to what Jesus says there. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, Notice here that Jesus sets up a contrast between uh, earthly treasures and heavenly treasures. The character of earthly treasures is that they are fleeting. Uh, The writer of Ecclesiastes, as as we read, uses the word vanity, which uh, just means uh, a vapor uh, that appears in front of you in the cold uh, morning air and then disappears after an instant. Jesus says the finest clothes will one day be eaten by, wor- uh, by moths. That prized motor vehicle will one day become a rust bucket. And our investments might be eaten away by the stock market volatility. That expensive jewellery may one day be stolen by thieves. Uh, I have a friend uh, who thought that her possessions were safe and secure because she lived on one of the top floors of a secure high-rise apartment in Chatswood. Uh, One day, a person abseiled down from the top, threw her open window, and took all her jewellery and uh, valuables. Hands up anyone who has had something valuable uh, stolen from them. Yeah, many of us have had valuable stock. You see, there is very little security in the things we accumulate for ourselves in this world. But not so with heavenly treasure, says. It will not be eaten by moths. It will not be destroyed by rust. It will not be taken by thieves. And so Jesus is saying here that it is always a better investment to accumulate heavenly treasure rather than earthly treasure treasure. It's a no-brainer if you think about it, isn't it? What would you rather? Accumulating uh, stuff that one day you will lose either through moths or rust or inflation or theft or one day most certainly through your death or will you accumulate things that you can never lose? 
for the rest of eternity. Uh, missionary Jim Hyatt, uh, who was beaten to death by uh, Indians in uh, Ecuador, uh, the very people who he was trying to with the gospel, who said these famous words said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You see, he knew the investment logic of Jesus, didn't he? What does it mean to lay up treasures in heaven? Uh, Well, I take it that Jesus is talking about living with kingdom priorities. That's what he's talking about. Uh, That's what he's teaching his disciples in the Lord Prayer, isn't it? Which we saw last week. Uh, He's talking about investing my time in knowing God better and growing in my righteousness. He's talking about investing my time into praying for and speaking to unbelievers about Christ in the hope that they will, be, they will turn to him and be saved. And more specifically, in this passage, he's speaking about money and putting it to use for kingdom purposes, for eternal purposes, things that have eternal consequences and therefore can never be lost. But friends, uh, here's the reason that Jesus gives uh, for why we should be putting money to use in this way. Uh, It's there in verse 21. Uh, Have a look with me at verse 21. He says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, friends, in Jesus' mind, there is an inseparable connection between what a person treasures and what is going on in their hearts, in their inner life. Notice that Jesus is not prohibiting having money and nice possessions, but he is saying that earthly things and loving earthly earthly things and being consumed by earthly things through accumulation tells you something about your heart and who you really are and who I really am. On the other hand, if your life and money and possessions are geared towards the work of the kingdom, then that also tells you something of who you are, doesn't it? And who, uh, and, 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 and about your heart. Uh, one commentator that I read this week writes... Show me your checkbook or credit card statement and I will tell you uh, where your heart is. Show me your checkbook or credit card statement and I'll show you where your heart is. Friends, uh, where is your heart? What does your credit card statement and my credit card statement say about what we treasure and therefore what is close to our hearts? Some say that the last part of a man to be converted is their hip pocket. Um, But disciples of Jesus are to be so changed of heart by the gospel that they treasure eternal things and live for the kingdom, especially with their money and possessions. Are you and I like this, friends? Has your heart and my heart been changed and transformed by Jesus so that the things that you treasure are different to the world and your use of money is following what you treasure?
Does that describe uh, you and me? Well, uh, in the next few verses, uh, notice that Jesus moves from cardiology to ophthalmology. Uh, No longer does he speak about the heart, but he speaks about the eye. Uh, You can see it there in verse 22, can't you? Have a look with me at verse 22. He says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, the whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Uh, Now friends, at first glance, it's kind of strange, don't you think, that Jesus starts talking about the eye here. Uh, It almost seems a, a bit out of place in a passage that is on the topic of money, don't you think? But notice uh, that Jesus is picturing the eye here as a little bit of a window into the rest of the human person. Uh, If the eye is good, he says, then it lets light into the rest of the body. But on the other hand, if the eye is bad and you are blind, well, it doesn't let any light into the body, does it? And there is darkness. I think what Jesus is saying here is that the things that we look at tell us something about what is going on inside us. You know, it's a bit like uh, parents with children. Uh, Have you ever noticed um, how parents only have eyes for their children? Is that something you've noticed? You know, they don't really notice our other children, but they always notice their own child. Their child might be a very ugly child. But the parents will only have eyes for them because, well, that's what's going on inside them, isn't it? Their hearts are full of love for their child. You see, the way you see the world actually reflects what's going on inside. And that's the gist of what Jesus is saying here. The things you look at reflects what is really going on internally. It can be things that we physically uh, look at, but it's also the things that we are constantly looking at with our mind's eye, isn't it? Uh, You know, those things that we think about at night and uh, constantly dream about during the day. I wonder what those things are for you. Well, Jesus says that those things are a good indicator of what you are really like. And what I am really like. Uh, You may have noticed that uh, Jesus uses the metaphor of light and darkness to describe the person's inner state here. Uh, I think it's a very serious uh, comment because uh, in Matthew's Gospel, light is symbolic of salvation and darkness is symbolic of death. If you remember, Jesus himself comes as the light in chapter 4, bringing salvation to a people dwelling in darkness. And as he brings salvation to his disciples, he tells them that they also are to be the light radiating salvation to the rest of the world. And so what Jesus is saying here is that those who have the light of salvation as a reality within them will look at the world with different eyes. What are the things that you and I look at? What are the things that seem to catch our eye over and over again? Is it 
the next big purchase that we must have? Long hours, window shopping or online shopping? Is it the next experience of travel and food? Is it our financial status, constantly looking at our bank balance? Is it real estate and the next investment property? How is that different to the rest of the world, friends? Jesus will have a bit to say about the anxiety that comes from such a life uh, later in this chapter, and we'll have a look at that next week. But what he says here to you and me is that what we are constantly looking at tells us who we are on the inside. What do you look at? What are you constantly gazing at in your mind's eye? Jesus says that if you have the light of salvation in you, then the things that you and I look at will be different to the world because we will have a vision of life that is actually radically different a vision of life that is driven by the priorities of the kingdom. Well, friends, uh, we're up to the last little section in our passage this morning, and it's here uh, that the rubber meets the road when it comes to the topic of money. For Jesus challenges his disciples about who they really serve as the master of their lives. Who they really serve as the master of our lives. Let's pick it up from verse 24. Verse 24 No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's quite a simple point, isn't it? Uh, Jesus says that it's impossible to serve two masters. Uh, it's, It's not like in the modern world where you can have two jobs and serve two different bosses at the same time. Uh, in Jesus' day, if you, had a, if you were a household servant or a slave to a particular master, then it was unthinkable that you could serve another master. And so Jesus says here that you cannot be serving two different masters. Why does Jesus say this? Well, he says this because we cannot worship two things at the same time. By its very definition, the one we worship is the one who takes first place in our lives and in our hearts. And so if you worship God, then all other things, including money, will fall into line under him. Alternatively, if you worship money, then what we will find is that we delegate God to second place and reject the one who created us and who dwells in heaven. In fact, we may even end up despising him and hating him because, you know, God constantly tries to interfere with our life and our finances. You can do one or the other, says Jesus, but you can't do both. The problem is, I think, we often think we can, don't we? Uh, I don't know whether that's true of you. It's certainly true of me at times. I'm sure most of us have felt the tension of whether we are going to serve God wholeheartedly and be devoted to him or whether we will serve our money and our possessions and other things that go along 
uh, with these things. And we find that because money is such a hidden thing, well, we can be secretly devoted to money while keeping up religious uh, appearances. Now, listen to what Brian Rosner, who uh, used to be one of the lecturers at Moore College, writes about the idolatry of money in our churches. Listen to what he says. He says, The most disturbing thing about the fact that greed is idolatry is that hardly anybody owns up to being a worshipper. Imagine the response of disbelief in the local church if it were revealed that the vast majority of its members were secretly worshipping other gods. Yet, if our analysis of the religion of money is right, the unthinkable may not be so far from the truth, he says. Uh, Near our place, uh, there is a a big park uh, where people take their dogs for a walk. Uh, Often I see small dogs uh, who are pulled along by their owners. And uh, it's quite amusing to see because if the small dog tries to go off on their own, well, uh, the the owner just pulls at the leash and uh, drags the dog along to where the master wants to go. However, from time to time, I see these huge dogs, uh, German shepherds, Great Danes, uh, what, what, what have you, and they are so big that they are the ones who are dragging their owners along. And you think to yourself, uh, who is really in charge here? Friends, I just wanted to ask this morning, who is really in charge when it comes to your money and my money? Is money in charge of you so that you are being dragged along in the pursuit of more money and more possessions and more earthly things? Or is God in charge so that your money is being dragged into serving him and his purposes to grow his kingdom? Uh, A wise Christian pastor once said to me, uh, every now and then you've got to show your money who's really the boss. You've got to show your money who's really the boss. Uh, I think what he meant by this is that it's good to regularly do something different with our money that makes it obvious that actually God is in charge. That's good advice, don't you think? You see, we can say that God is the boss in the abstract, but unless I give away my money or do something different with my money, then I will never know who, whose boss, uh, who the boss really is. Uh, now, next Sunday, uh, I'm going to give a, a little presentation about uh, where we are financially uh, in our church, and uh, um, uh, where personally I'm very thankful to many, many generous people, uh, not just in this congregation but across our congregations, uh, who generously give up. Uh, their money uh, as well as their time and effort to get involved with the work of the kingdom here. Uh, But next week uh, I'm going to share with you some of our our plans uh, for this parish and uh, I'm going to be asking uh, everyone here to consider prayerfully increasing our giving to the work of the kingdom. Uh, But today uh, I thought I'd just share with you some stories uh, of things that I've observed Uh, in people's use of money 
uh, that have made it fairly obvious to me that God was the master of their lives and that Jesus and his kingdom were their primary concern. Uh, Perhaps you might want to chat uh, about other ways we can be godly in this area, uh, over morning tea or uh, over coffee, but uh, here are a a few quick examples. Uh, Some of you might know I have a friend who got married a few years ago. Uh, When he went to buy an engagement ring for his fiancée, Uh, they worked out the maximum amount of money they could spend on an engagement ring. Uh, But you know what they did? They both agreed uh, to buy a substantially lower-priced engagement ring and then give away the difference to the campus ministry uh, that helped them to come to know Jesus. Uh, I know a growth group leader in a church who told me that he was struggling because he wanted to buy a flashy car. Uh, Now, of course, there's nothing intrinsically sinful about buying a a flashy car, but he ended up buying a a less flashy car because, well, he wanted money left over to be generous towards others, and he also said uh, he didn't want to become a stumbling block to others in the church, especially those people that he was leading uh, in his growth group. Uh, A while back, I heard of a young Christian man uh, who was a high-flying lawyer, but he worked out that he could live a fairly comfortable life on his starting salary. He was a single man at the time. And so for some years uh, after this, whenever he got a pay rise, he worked out that he could actually give away the whole pay rise uh, to uh, different uh, gospel organisations that were on about uh, proclaiming the gospel. Uh, a number of times I've seen people leave a large bequest to the church in their wills because their concern has been for the ongoing work of the gospel. They've not only lived a life of faithful service to their master on earth, but were willing to leave the things they once owned behind to be put to use uh, for the work of the master. Uh, Friends, what a joy it is to see fellow Christian brothers and sisters serving God in this way with their money. Uh, Notice in all of these examples, the people involved have given away their money generously to the work of the gospel so that it's clear who is really in charge. Um, I've met a a number of people who often feel guilty uh, that they are living with such abundance as a Christian person, and so what they decide to do is they simply decide to cut back present spending only to put the money into their saving accounts and other investments for later comfort. Um, I'm not sure whether that's actually Uh, generous gospel kind of giving. Uh, You see, the joy that Jesus talks about here is actually the joy of giving it away because actually our hearts uh, are on about the kingdom of God. And so is God in charge of your money and my money? Uh, Is he our master? And are we serving God in this way? Uh, At the beginning of my talk, uh, I spoke about the hiddenness of money. 
and the fact that we don't often like to talk about it. Uh, Perhaps it's because for many Christians, if we're honest with ourselves, life has slowly become about money and possessions and earthly riches. Um, That might be true of uh, some or many of us here this morning. And I just want to say that if that is true of us, then can I encourage us to see how poor that really is in the eyes of God and in genuine poverty of spirit, why don't we turn to Jesus and receive true riches from him and to live for his kingdom and his glory, especially when it comes to our use of money. We cannot serve both God and money, friends. And so serve God with your money. Let's pray. Uh, Our Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for uh, the words of Jesus uh, this morning. Uh, We thank you, Father, that uh, you speak to us uh, in a way that pierces our hearts and uh, reveals what is going on there. Uh, And Father, we uh, acknowledge that money is um, uh, such a difficulty uh, for perhaps all of us uh, in our lives, Uh, And it's tempting to uh, think that money and wealth and possessions will offer us uh, the kind of life and satisfaction that we long for. Uh, But Father, we ask that as we uh, have read in your word and as we continue to reflect on your word, uh, that you would show us where true life uh, and true uh, satisfaction um, and true joy lies, And we pray, Father, that uh, you would change our hearts uh, so that we might treasure uh, things in heaven uh, over things on earth and that our money would be, our use of money might be reflected uh, in these priorities. Uh, Father, we pray that uh, you would give us uh, more and more a new heart. We ask that you would give us a new eye and a new vision. And uh, we pray, Father, that you would help us to joyfully serve you Uh, as our master. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.